What's good football fans? Back at you once again with another video. And today I wanted to come on and talk a little bit about the guys we drafted last weekend. I also wanted to apologize for not coming on sooner, but we actually just got back in from vacation at the Outer Banks over the last four or five days, so we're just settling in. And first and foremost on this, I wanted to say I really like this draft. I also feel like they went into this one with a plan, and they had several players circled in several rounds. And I'll be honest with you, I've been witness to this team taking the best player available for so long that I must admit it was odd to see them select guys, you know, that, that may have been considered further on down the trough, you know, by the list of quote unquote top overall players and, you know, the experts that made those lists, so to speak. It was clear to me that Rivera and company came into that thing and stuck to their plan. Of course, we don't know how things might have turned out had Garrett Wilson been, you know, available still. Uh, that said, I was surprised that they that they passed on Kyle Hamilton. I thought he would be too much for them to pass on, especially two defensive-minded coaches, you know, on the same staff. I would have thought they would have hopped on Hamilton, but as you saw, they did not. Now, I do believe their first four picks will contribute in 2022. And I also believe that their final four picks will contribute in due time. Now realize that leaves Sam Howell in the middle, who I believe is by far the steal of the entire draft. You know, I've watched that guy play for the last three years, and I believe that, you know, once his game catches up to the speed of the NFL, that we'll be seeing more of him on Sundays. Not to mention having Howell also gives them options in case things don't work out with Carson Wentz. You know, if they do work out with Carson Wentz and, you know, they, they have a, a young quarterback and how, then, I mean, more options is always better, in my opinion. First and foremost, I wanted to talk about the first player they drafted, and they were able to trade down and pick up a couple draft picks in the process. They ended up picking 16th. And let me just say, first and foremost, what is there not to like about Jahan Dotson? I mean, this guy's got a set of elite hands. He's a leader. Um, you know, he's undersized, but yet he comes up humongous in, you know, in games. You know, he could play inside or outside, you know. And one thing that should be pointed out, he, you know, he should be interchangeable along with Curtis Samuel and Deami Brown and matching up alongside Terry McLaurin. You know, so a lot of teams are going to have a really hard time if they think they're going to double Terry and be able to get away with it, you know, as much as they might have been, let's say, last year. Some of that's going to come from actually having a quarterback back there that can actually throw the ball deep. But having these types of weapons at the receiver position, as long as they're healthy, it's going to be a good year. I also wanted to point out that Dotson just absolutely destroyed Maryland single-handedly this past season. I mean, he had over 200 yards receiving, a couple touch, few touchdowns. And, you know, what I was most impressed with about him was his ability to make big plays and not drop big passes, even though he was playing with a mid to lower tier quarterback. Kind of reminds me a little bit of McLaurin himself, the way that he was able to shine above the, you know, the, the, the person who was tossing the ball to him. In Terry's situation, it's just a, whoever's tossing the ball to him, he has to shine above him because there's been what a string of guys already since he's been a professional. What is it, like six or seven we're up to now? And I know there was some talk about Washington reaching for Dotson, but 
truth is, he would have never made it past Green Bay at 22 or 28. So I don't really view that as a reach. I view that as a situation where Washington wanted him, and that was the perfect time to make the move before Green Bay or whoever else got a chance to get him. I think the problem here is folks get this perception in their brain of that, you know, what they want. Then when the draft rolls around to that point, nothing ever works out perfect to meet those expectations. So complaining commences at that point. This is why there's always so much complaining about the first round. You know, on paper, it appears it's the easiest one to predict. But in the end, it's just as impossible as the rest of the picks outside the top 32. People latch their proverbial wagons to players who are projected to be taken in the top 25. But in the end, all it does is set them up for disappointment if their guy isn't amongst those that are drafted or like, their guy doesn't turn up on their team. You know, what I've noticed the last few years is those people, in turn, hate on whoever the team does pick using any weaknesses the player has as a reasoning for saying the front office can't do their job. And guys, let me just say, when the dust all settles, you guys are going to love Dotson. Now, I will tell you at first... When I when, when you know the, the the picks were coming in in the second round, I was shocked when they took Fedarian Mathis. You know, one thing you have to remember, of course, is that Washington is still stuck in this. What are they going to do with Deron Payne? You know, moment in time, so to speak, and nobody really knows how that's going to work out. Are they going to keep him and then just let him walk next year and get the third round compensation? You know, are they going to try to trade him? Are they going to try to extend him? We really don't know. What we do know is there was a hole in that, you know, in that setup to where they didn't have enough guys to be able to do what they needed done in, on that defensive line. Like Tim Settle's gone, Matt Ioannidis is gone, you know, and, and they served a, a good percentage of snaps as far as the rotational portion of, of that defensive line goes. So there was a need for the team to go out and pick somebody. You know, and, and I will say that, you know, I will admit the first thing I did was kind of sit down and say, wait a minute, who? Because I knew the defensive tackle was a need, but I didn't think a move to improve that position would come that soon. I did not think that they were going to make that move in the second round. Now, I will say after watching his film, I'm really interested in seeing what he can do with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen on his hips. You know, drafting him also gives them some leverage. Now, obviously not that much, but some leverage in contract talks with Payne. You know, now they get Payne for, for another season while Mathis gets to play behind Payne and Allen and gain some experience. Maybe he's not really ready yet for what he's going against uh, in the professional ranks. But I do know that he had like, what was it, nine sacks last year? Which for a defensive tackle, that's pretty good. One, that, especially one that probably identifies as more so a nose tackle than anything. What I'm hoping for is this leads to some five-man fronts where opposing offensive lines will have to deal with all three of these defensive tackles and what they do well, which honestly should lead both Chase Young and Montez Sweat to getting more pressure on the quarterback. You know, in my opinion, this entire defense should see more pressure in 2022 based solely on Mathis and what he brings to the situation. The next guy we picked was Brian Robinson Jr. And I'm going to be just completely honest. I actually love this pick, but I also believe that this is another one of the ones that people believe that, that they, they reached really hard on. You know, the only thing that I can really say, 
you know, about that would be it appears like they found a guy that they wanted and made it happen before anybody else got him. You know, last year Washington had a massive hole in their lineup in terms of needing a short yardage back. And I'm not all that concerned that that is all Robinson is. I think he could be a three down, you know, bell cow type of back if needed. But in the meantime, they now have a nice three headed monster with Robinson, Gibson and McKissick. And the only thing I really don't like about Robinson is I have some small question marks about his speed going through the hole. And the main reason that I have that problem or that, that thought is because of the way that he runs so straight up, you know, he, he runs, it looks like his, 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 uh, his neck is kind of cocked up a little bit. I don't know his speed with that, with that neck thing. I, I just kind of, it just looks awkward to me, but I know that he hits the hole hard. And I know that he's hard to bring down. So that may cancel out the, the speed of actually going through the hole and how straight up he does it. I'm going to keep an eye on that and, and, and see how that all turns out. Hopefully they teach him to go a little lower as he's going through the hole. I don't know. Maybe that's just me overreacting to something I've seen on film. In the fourth round, I felt like the team was able to, to search and find a diamond in the rough. Um, Percy Butler is a lot better than what you may think by just hearing that name and, and seeing, oh, safety, Louisiana Lafayette. Hmm. I, I really feel like Percy Butler in the fourth might be someone who finds his way onto the field from day one if he can do the most with the chances he's going to get. And by saying he's going to get them, I mean, Ron Rivera is already talking about like 50% of snaps being up for grabs for this guy. You know, right now, that football team has a major need for someone to step into the secondary and do things. Whether it be the Buffalo nickel or maybe even some snaps from the slot or in the rotation, you know, playing free safety. Maybe he plays that big safety role that, that Ron's always talking about. Or, you know, maybe some, some time on special teams, which is obviously going to happen for him somewhere along the line but it's not going to be limited to special teams. I think you take all of that into account, and Butler's the guy to keep your eye on in 2022. You know, according to Chris Sims, Butler is one of the best pure safeties in the entire draft. And, and while I'm not a Chris Sims fan by any means, those are pretty big words coming from him. You know, I talked a little bit about Sam Howell. You know, if he's able to be brought on slowly while, you know, he gets used to the, the, the speed of the game and how things run in the NFL... I think this guy could be the limit for this guy. He probably has the best quarterback arm of anybody in this draft. Now, I realize when you look at the guys in this draft, you know, the, the conversation has constantly been these, these guys maybe aren't NFL ready. So I, I realize that if you look at it from that scope, you're saying, oh, well, you're basically just saying he's the best of a pack that's not ready for the game. But let me tell you something. This guy has a nice deep ball. The problem that I saw with him while he was at Carolina was that he kind of has like this Rex Grossman way of doing things like, like, fuck it, I'm going deep. You know what I mean? But I think that's something that can be coached up or, or coached out of him if, you know, if, if, if you would. Uh, but looking at the rest of the draft, I will say that I don't know much about Cole Turner, Chris Paul, or Christian Holmes. But I like what I've seen in the film from Turner and Holmes. Turner has a, an unbelievable catch radius. And he's coming into a good situation if he can hit the ground running. Washington is in need of another vertical weapon at the tight end position, which is what he is. 
He's not much of a blocker at this point, but that can be taught. And I believe Paul played right tackle at Tulsa, but he also started something like 20 games at both guard spots as well. So position versatility is there as well for a guy who had over 40 starts during his time at Tulsa, despite missing his final three games with a knee injury. I expect that Christian Holmes would probably be used more so on special teams to start with, but don't be surprised if there's injuries at that position, if you don't see that guy you know, pop up somewhere, he's, he's built to go. And I also wanted to take a quick look at, you know, the undrafted free agents that Washington signed this year. I don't know too much about these guys, so I'll make this somewhat quick. You know, last year they only signed one undrafted guy, and that was Jarrett Patterson. He was Chase Young's buddy or whatever. And that came as a shock to me, considering in years past, signing UDFAs has become one of my favorite processes with all the reports coming in almost immediately after the draft ends and then, you know, checking back to see if anyone else has signed on through the night. You know, it, it also became a way for me to meet some of the smaller names. You know, those players' agents is, is, is oftentimes those undrafted guys are looking for any way to get their name out there. And for the team, it's the perfect time or the perfect way to find the diamond in the rough that you wouldn't normally get. You'd be surprised how many of those undrafted guys end up on the roster and end up having long careers. Now, the first guy I'm going to talk about on this year's list is Jaquez Ezard from Sam Houston State. Now, a friend of mine who follows Sam Houston, actually went there, personally told me that this guy is a beast who looks to turn nothing into something on each and every play. You know, so you could probably add Ezard's name to the, to the list of possible returnment in 2022. The next guy up would be Trey Walker, a linebacker from Idaho. He's great against the run, kind of questionable in coverage. Um, he doesn't really have the athletic abilities to move well side to side. Um, probably in the long terms of things, probably a special teamer somewhere. Next guy up I want to talk about was Kirk McDowan, a wide receiver from Georgia Tech. Now, he transferred from Northwestern and had some decent success with Georgia Tech despite Tech not being that great of a passing team. I think everybody knows that Tech is built to run. Uh, the next guy up was Curtis Hodges, a tight end from Arizona State. Now, he's a former wide receiver turned tight end. He's got some great size. He's six foot eight. Seems like a lot of these tight ends we're getting now, you know, had these same size fits, you know, like six foot five to six foot eight. Um, you know, he's got some, some good pass catching traits, but he's dealt with some injuries. Next guy up I wanted to talk about was Devin Taylor, cornerback from Bowling Green State. You know, he started out at Virginia Tech back in 2020. He's a, he was a blip on my radar then. Not very big radar, but just a small blip. But he's got decent size at six foot one, 203 pounds, kind of mid-tier speed. Um, in his two years of college, he was able to get four interceptions and 98 tackles and only 21 starts. The next guy up was Cole Kelly, who's a quarterback from Southern Louisiana. Now, Kelly has lots of size he, he measures in at six foot seven but he also has a lot of years playing college football which is five including two with arkansas and then three with southeastern louisiana now keep in mind that last year he tossed 44 touchdowns to go along with over 5,000 yards passing for southeastern louisiana next up is farad garner he's a linebacker from louisiana he's a fifth year senior with 128 tackles 14 for loss and 6.5 sacks to his total Next guy up would be Drew White, linebacker from Notre Dame. You know, White started 39 games during his time 
with Notre Dame, you know, putting up 199 tackles, 21.5 for loss. So he's definitely got some experience at that position. Uh, the next guy on the list would be Tyrese Robinson. He was an offensive lineman for Oklahoma. Now, Robinson played his 2021 season out of position over at right tackle, but he's got some great size at 6'3", 324 pounds. And I expect him in the mix for one of the backup guard roles or the practice squad in 2022. Now the next guy up is Devontae Cross, safety from UVA. And Cross is, a, is an interesting player to talk about. He first came to UVA as a quarterback, then switched to wide receiver before switching again to safety. While the jury is out on him as a player, he's certainly got the size and has shown small flashes along the way. I mean, the guy stands at six foot two, 215 pounds. He definitely has athletic ability enough to play the safety spot. It's just he doesn't have a lot of experience. So it'll be interesting to see how he turns out as a professional. And next on the list was Josh Drayden, a cornerback from California. And Drayden spent six seasons at Cal. Okay, six. Starting 42 games along the way. And last on the list is Armani Rogers, who is a tight end from Ohio. And Armani Rogers is a bit of an odd story. You know, he played three years at UNLV as their quarterback before transferring to Ohio and playing a slash role as a tight end. You know, Washington drafted him as a tight end, so we'll see where that goes. You know, and, and the size of that room is up there for Washington. At six foot five, I think Rogers might be the shortest guy there now. I was just reading a second ago where they have like two seven, two six foot seven guys and a six foot eight guy. The size is increasing in that room. Looking over all the guys they picked and then the guys that they signed after the draft was over, it really is easy to see that Rivera and company, you know, they, they were really into the idea of taking older prospects this season. My guess is that they want guys who are ready to hit the ground running. You know, I always love it when they get these types of guys who are captains in college, maybe even all the way back into high school, you know, guys that have been in leadership roles for as long as they could remember on the football field. We need that. It's something that's bigger than just taking the guy who is at the top of the prospect list or at the top of the what's left list. If those types of guys are who we'll choose to take in the draft with Rivera and company making these, these, these decisions, then by all means, do what you need to get the locker room right or keep it right. Now, that's all I have for today. I just wanted to come on and talk a little bit about the draft process and give my take on things. You know, it, it should be noted that I don't believe in giving draft grades unless we're talking about drafts from three years ago or more. Although I will say I really like this draft based on the amount of guys I think will contribute immediately. That said, what do you think about this draft class? Let me know your opinions down below in the comments. Y'all take it easy. Peace.